Episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on July the 28th, 2020. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, Lance Commander. Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we will of course be discussing the games that we have played. We'll be talking about our game club for July, which is Gears Tactics. We'll briefly discuss next month's game club, and we will have a discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. So, I said Lance Commander. We're not going to talk about Battletech on the recording. Although, Rage, if anyone who's friends with Rage will have seen that he's been playing Battletech pretty hardcore the last couple of weeks. Well, it's also been in the background a bit. So. Yeah. But with the uh, extended mod, there's a lot of ground to cover. So, even though we spent... Yeah, the better part of an hour talking about it pre-recording. We're not going to have it on the show this week, other than this bit. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that the AI is a hell of a lot better. That makes it a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. And bigger drops. Yeah. So. Yeah, nothing like bringing uh, yeah, six mechs to uh, one skull mission. Yep. No kill like overkill. You come for more, but only way to be sure. Indeed, although six mechs might not be enough on a one skull clan mission. Well, we'll see. But, uh, a discussion uh, for another time. what, 40 years? (laughs) Yeah. It took me a long time to get there, playing it hardcore for two or three weeks. But, anyways, I mean, we've, we already have been talking about a game that we said we weren't going to talk about. Do you want to go talk about the games that we're supposed to talk about? Yeah, let's talk about games we're supposed to talk about. Sweet, we'll just slide on into that. So... How about a little bit of handheld goodness? Wink. Go for it. (laughs) Um, Uh, My hand is already held, if you know what I'm saying. I'm not falling for that one. So, uh, while... was it? Like, been two or three weeks? Nintendo had a pretty big sale uh, on their eShop. And one of the games I picked up that actually wasn't on sale, but I was already, you know, buying into a a couple games, so I figured, eh, what the hell not. I went and picked up one of the virtual console games, The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons. This was a Game Boy Color game released in 2001 in the U.S. I'm on the wiki page, so I'm able to tell. Uh, and it was the well, second or third of the Game Boy Legend, uh, Legend of Zelda games. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I say second or third because it's it, they pulled a Pokemon where... They released two games at the same time, but unlike Pokemon, where it's just, yeah, very minor differences up until the later installments, this is two different adventures that have an overall, if you pardon the term or phrase, link between them. Hello. Uh, There's Oracle of Seasons, which is what I'm playing, which uh, deals with changing of seasons as its primary uh, game mechanic. And then there's Oracle of Ages, which has a time travel element. Both of them have similarities in the fact that going uh, through, you're changing the world by doing something, either traveling time or in Oracle of Seasons, uh, going to specific points to change what season it is between, you know, spring, summer, you know, autumn, and winter. 
and each one has their own benefits and drawbacks. Uh, Summer, for example, uh, is kind of your default Legend of Zelda-esque gameplay. Winter Winter has some uh, areas freeze over, so you're able to access uh, new areas. Uh, Snow piles up, so you have to either dig your way through them with the shovel or... It, access, it, it gives you access to different areas because of just snow, snow piling up. Autumn allows access to different areas because the trees uh, kind of uh, shrivel and lose their leaves, so it allows you to pass by them. And spring, oh, sorry, summer allow uh, spring is your default Legend of Zelda, sorry, and summer has it where some areas actually dry up, and also vines will grow on some. Uh, cliff faces to allow you to gain access to areas that you otherwise couldn't. And as you progress through the game, you're uh, this time around instead of an oracle, or sorry, uh, instead of an ocarina, it's a rod that uh, slowly gets empowered with the uh, with the four seasons. So th- that's kind of the overall MacGuffin and mechanic, and it's your old school, well, at least now, uh, uh, Legend of Zelda, and it has. A very familiar feel to it because the the Legend of Zelda I played the most before this was Link's Awakening, which was kind of this odd side adventure where uh, Link is trapped on an island, but it's all a dream, maybe. And it has a lot of end jokes to other Nintendo properties, like one of the characters looks like Mario. Uh, there's a Yoshi doll in it, and it's considered to be kind of this odd side story that is or isn't canon, but uh, Oracle of Seasons, and I'm presuming Oracle of Ages, I'm eventually going to play it, borrows a lot of gameplay mechanics from Link's Awakening to the point where it feels very familiar, but they also mess with it a bit and to kind of subvert my expectations of it. Uh, for example, uh, they kind of combine a lot of the old school items, like the Pegasus boots, uh, the fire rod and a, a couple others into a single item that's a consumable, but you get these berries uh, that you use for uh, this uh, bag, this bag consumables, pretty often, and it also changes uh, the chances of you getting them depending on what season it is. So if you need to, you go farm for them, but you get them so often that yes, it is technically a consumable, but you don't really have to worry about it unless you're struggling on a particular area, which feels rather nice, I have to be honest. Uh, overall story, the uh, oracle uh, that governs the passing of uh, one season to the next is kidnapped by uh, evil Lord MacGuffin, and you're on an adventure to save her, and that's pretty much it for them, for now at least. And no, he's not Evil Lord MacGuffin. He's General Onyx. But for some reason, he wants to cast the world into chaos to destroy all life to remake it in his image. You know, typical bad guy stuff, right? Of course. Uh, but it, they haven't really gone too hardcore into the story. There is story here, and there's little bits of it here and there. But honestly, to me, Legend of Zelda's always been about the adventure. What I've played, it's always been, you know, uh, it's about the journey and the sort of 
small stories you meet along the way. Like there's a, a possible uh, animal companions that you can find, and depending on your actions in the game, which uh, that is something I need to talk about in a little bit, you get partnered with one of them, and you help them out in some way or another. And the one I got is Ricky, who is a kangaroo. And you have to go uh, uh, win a boxing tournament to uh, win back his gloves to be able uh, for him to uh, help you. And he's able to uh, jump uh, uh, long distances, but also jump up cliffs. However, there's two others that you actually do meet, uh, even if you don't partner with them. But only for a short time, there's a flying bear named Mushi, who, uh, you know, he flies. I mean, that, that's kind of his thing. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure how you actually uh, partner with him. And then there's a uh, a rhino thing that's uh, named Dimitri. That is also one that I missed out because I did things a little differently. And this ha- it kind of gets into what I was uh, going to talk about. Was that outside of the dungeons, there's actually a kind of a more open experience that I wasn't expecting. Uh, Typically, Legend of Zelda is a fairly linear point A to point B experience, unless you're a speedrunner and, you know, absolutely breaking things. But for this, there's kind of, you have your high points, you have the, uh, your set, your uh, beats for the story, but depending on what you do, you you could go and take things uh, in a few different ways which I found pretty interesting. Like there's, uh, once you get an animal companion, there's a couple uh, different ways to uh, go from one to, uh, from dungeon three to dungeon four, which is where I am right now. And uh, looking around it, it's hinted that things open up a bit more, but I'm not 100% certain because I don't want to spoil myself. I just found it a very kind of refreshing retro game to just be able to play, but also a very familiar game. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I I have played this. I think we had like this brief exchange. I played it, but I was I was a kid when I played it, and I might have played the other version. I honestly couldn't remember because there's two like versions of this that are like connected or yeah, they're connected, but they're different stories. That's the thing. So yeah, so the Pokemon uh reference is more how they were released where. They were released, I think, at the same time, or if not very close together. Let's see, I'm just checking. Yeah, it looks like uh, on the same day. So, basically, oh, hang on, let me go back to the proper one. Uh, Link was uh, 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 riding around. Uh, he spotted a castle on the horizon. He got uh, sent inside, and he uh, was sent by the Triforce to help a, a distant land to, from being ravaged by a ruthless general. And that's pretty much uh, where the game starts off, and uh, the the uh, the uh, the story <laughs> beats uh, it's four paragraphs, but also the fact that in order to get the entire story, you have to play both of them, which I found I found very fascinating, and it is uh, carries over because here's the thing: is that uh, or I should I should say in the uh, virtual console because it's through a password system instead of a uh, uh, link cable or anything, if you're part of the term phrase once again. 
there, there's a lot of references to Link now that I think about it in Nintendo stuff or using the term Link. <laughs> that is true. But anyway, uh, there's uh, a overarching story that continues on beyond this game, which is a, a bit of a rarity for the Legend of Zelda series. There's, it's very rare for him to have a continuous story over the course of more than one game. I know they did it with Majora's Mask, kind of. And I'm not sure if they did it with anyone anywhere else. I'm not hugely familiar with the Zelda series I know, I know that I know that there's a sequel to Breath of the Wild coming out, so maybe they'll do it there as well. well I guess we'll see there. Huh? But overall, I've been enjoying it. Like I said, it's, uh, it's in that place where it's retro, but it it's fresh enough to me that it doesn't feel like I'm regressing uh, to uh, play it or I have to you know, set my expectations low. And what's kind of funny is that the entire Legend of Zelda series has this kind of convoluted timeline that that has been uh, placed as well. So if someone's wanting to play it in sequence... Oh, hang on, I just... Is it... See, it's placed uh, after Link to the Past and Link's Awakening. Uh, so this one actually takes place before Oracle of Ages. And according to uh, what I read online when I was uh, going to choose which one to p- pick up, Oracle of Seasons is a more traditional uh, Legend of Zelda uh, game, while Oracle of Ages focuses more on puzzles. So there is that as well. And it's I'll I'll cover this a bit more once I actually complete the game. Like I said, I'm on I'm at the very end. I'm at the boss fight in the fourth dungeon, and I just I don't have the uh, uh, the timing exactly down for it. I, I still it's one of those things. It's not a hard boss, and honestly, I haven't found any of the bosses to be terribly difficult just yet. But it's more just getting the timing down and execution. I will say that mm-hmm. uh, the uh, leading up to it, there was a couple interesting little platforming sections uh, in the uh, side-scrolling 2D area uh, that had to uh, navigate a sort of puzzle platformer esque, which I found uh, a lot more in depth than uh, the uh, previous uh, Game Boy, the uh, Game Boy Legends of the uh, Link's Awakening. Uh, so it's nice to see that they did more with that. But I guess I'll check back in probably in weeks or a month to see where I am with uh, Oracle Seasons and how I've done overall with it. Um, uh, coming up on the halfway mark, I'm not quite there because uh, I didn't realize it until I checked to see where I was. Uh, this one breaks the mold of the traditional eight dungeons and you're done. And there's a couple of extras and... Uh, actually, there's a lot more overworld stuff that I have to deal with. And I haven't actually started much of the trading side quest either. It took me ages to actually find the start of it. I knew there was one, but it took me ages to be able to find it. Because but I finally found it, so I'm trying to backtrack to where uh, I think the next portion of it is. To be able to progress to see where that leads. Because usually the trading side quests in these games are very worthwhile in doing. Yeah, I've been like way off on in left field on a Zelda title. But I've been thinking about getting Breath of the Wild on I've, I've Switch. I, I've heard both good and bad things about it. Uh, what might be the catcher is, are you expecting 
another or a Zelda title like other ones that you may have played. No, I want a Zelda title that's not like other ones that I've played then, before. Then you'll probably like Breath of the Wild with one caveat. It has a durability system on weapons. Yeah, I know about that. I watched I watched in my quest to watch documentary length videos about stuff. I watched a 2-hour video about Breath of the Wild and was like, hmm, I kind of want to buy that now." Now, I've because heard, it's I've so heard some, different from I've heard some really good things about it. It's just it's also very different from pretty much every other Legend of Zelda out there. It's I I hate using this good comparison because this is one of those games that people compare everything to, but it's essentially Zelda meets Skyrim. Yeah. At I which, mean, it's a more western style yeah. R- RPG, it sounds seems like yeah, Western style with a lot more focus on exploration and non-linear gameplay. Yeah, and there's definitely places for both of them, but typically, you know, I, I think for RPGs, I tend to head more towards Western style RPGs. You know, the Morrowinds, Oblivions, Skyrims, etc. of the of the RPG spectrum, and I certainly like JRPGs, and there's nothing wrong with a more linear RPG as well, but. Traditional Zelda Zelda RPGs have never really, or Zelda, traditional Zelda games rather, have never really gotten my attention all that much. Like I liked Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask back in the day, but I don't know if I would like them now. But anyways, I uh, you can uh, go back to discussing your game, or if you're done, I'm I can pretty much done at least for now. It's just. Uh, I'm still in the process of going through it, and since it's on my uh, the DS uh, as a downloadable title, I pretty much always have it with me. It's one of my four digital titles I have, so I can mm-hmm. swap between them without having to worry about cartridges or anything. So, just uh, every so often, I'll pick it up and play a bit, uh, get to the point where I'm a little stuck, and come back to it later. And I think that's probably helped me get so far in it. So already it's just be able to not have to worry about uh, committing to it because I could just pick up and play. Yeah. Once I get into or get pretty much to the end of it, I can start focusing on my other stuff because I picked up some interesting titles uh, and I'm looking forward to be able to talk about them. So, uh, but I wanted to, I I had a sort of an itch for Zelda. What can I say? Right. It's been a long time since I played uh, Link's Awakening. It feels, like I said, very nostalgic, but at the same time, not. Right. Okie dokie. Well, the one game I'm going to talk about this week is uh, Starpoint Gemini Warlords. I have discussed this previously, but it was several years ago when the game was still in its early access and development phase. Um, And at that point in time, there was sort of the tutorial portion of the campaign and then it just dumped you out into the open world and was like go fun with what we have developed at this point in time and the game is now finished and all of its dlc is released i picked up all the dlc on the steam sale um have been going back and playing through it um i've only been playing the base campaign um so for anyone who like i've I've talked about the previous two games in the series um, Starpoint Gemini has up until this point been essentially what if Freelancer but capital <laughs> ships. So in you know in Freelancer the focus was primarily if you just played without mods on uh, small one man fighters and then 
there were uh, you could get freighters or, or small cargo freighters. Um, oh, don't forget, game. don't forget repeated dialogue. Right, right. We own this place. We own this place. Um, but in is in Starpoint Gemini uh, one and two, the smallest ship you could get was a gunship. Um, and then you could go up from there up to battleships. And the first one, Starpoint Gemini 2, added uh, dreadnoughts and carriers. And then one of the DLCs added uh, what was called a Titan-class vessel, which is just a super capital ship. Um, and then Warlords take that to the sort of what I feel like is the next level, which is, okay, what if, um, you know, that... But also with 4X, some 4X strategy layers on top. 4X is wrong. What if R, some RTS layers on top of it? Or light strategy layers? Um, there is certainly exploring and exploiting and exterminating. Uh, where are the 4Xs? Explore? Uh, expand. I guess it is 4X. Because there is exploring. There's a map to explore. There's resources to exploit. You expand your territory. And ultimately, you're working to exterminate or at least subjugate all of the other factions on the map. So I guess it is like 4X elements. But you start the game um, as like a le- the leader of, of a faction that's a continuation of, of factions from the previous games. Your faction is doing some research on and testing like a prototype brand new super capital ship. Everything gets fucked. There's like some spies and a plot and explosions and death, and you get booted out and demoted to like a peon captain person. You get given like a shitty gunship, and that's sort of its excuse for starting you with the small ships and pulling back uh, or not letting you have the reins to all of the strategy stuff right off the bat. And then it uses that as a bit of an extended tutorial. You go through several classes of ships. You spend a while exploring the galaxy on your own. I say a while. It's about four hours of game time, which, you know, may sound like a lot to you. But given how long the campaign is for this, it's not that much. Maybe at the end of it, it'll be 5% of the time I've spent in the campaign. Um, But then, then you get to have control of your faction back and you start rebuild, essentially rebuilding it after this massive conspiracy attack that sets off the game. You have a a space station that you build um, called Concordia and it's um, fully fledged. Like you, it has orbital or you have uh, ship foundries and um, research that you do and some basic management of uh, like resource allocation and you have these uh, fleets which you can choose to manage the uh, sort of like merchant fleets or um, I don't I don't quite know what the right term is but they're they're essentially workers versus combat vessels and there are missions and tasks that they can do that expand um, in scope as you upgrade your space station and do research on things um you progress through that portion of the story, unlocking larger ships for yourself, gradually getting larger fleets. You get special captains that are called War Masters that have essentially, they're, they're essentially like player characters. They have abilities um, like you do. There's a, that's, that's another thing. There's RPG elements um, which have carried over from the previous two games. You have essentially three classes that you can choose from that have various abilities tailored to the class. There's one that's sort of a long range class that focuses on um, 
longer ranged weapons like railguns and missiles, and then eventually kind of the natural endpoint for them is a carrier focus. There's a short range class that has um, abilities like a tractor beam to pull people in and like a, a shotgun attack, and their sort of natural focus is to wind up with a dreadnought. And then there's another class that's kind of more of like a a commander or administrator class, and you've got a couple of combat abilities, but the focus of that class is more along um, getting bonuses for your um, fleet battles and stuff. Um, so kind of pick and choose. I went with the sniper class because the, the vessel I wanted to pilot was the carrier. Um, but anyway, so there's... You you build it. You also build up combat fleets. Or no, what was I talking about? War masters. Okay, so you get the war masters, and they essentially fall into these classes that that you can have. The base game has got, I believe, three war masters, but with the inclusion of the DLCs, there are a lot more um, that you can gain. So eventually, you become basically OP because your war masters level up through combat, just like you do, um, and unlock better, bigger ships and better abilities, and so they. Like a single war master, like I'm, I'm in the end game of the campaign, as far as I can tell, um, and I've got war masters that are like high level, tw- like high twenties, low thirties in terms of level, and the level cap is I think fifty, um, so or no, sorry, not fifty, it's forty, and so they're in like battleships and dreadnoughts, and I have one that you're given at the beginning of the game that she's in a in a carrier, and she is more powerful than a fleet. That, like one of my fleets that I have like individually so um, I love the way that the power scales um, you know a lot of times games will like make you feel like a badass for a second but then scale up in difficulty to sort of match you and there is a little bit of that specifically in certain sections of the campaign but for the most part like if you're tooling around in a carrier and you stumble across um, like a, a pirate a group of pirates harassing one of your merchant fleets, for example, um, and you show up in your carrier, they're fucked. They just can't hurt you because they're in a bunch of gunships and corvettes, and there might be one of them that's in, like, a frigate, but their combined power is not even enough to bring your shields down. And so it, it has a little bit of that old-school RPG feel of, like, ah, yes, I'm now over-leveled, and you people that used to give me a hard time are now nothing compared to my might and so that always feels really good um beyond that in the actual sort of gameplay mechanics you can do things like capture ships um you've always been able to do this board ships with um marines and disable or um capture them but the only thing you could do with captured ships is if you if you yourself like um hook them up with a, a grappling wire or a tractor beam and hauled them back to a station. You could sell it for credits, or you could put it in your garage to use for later. Um, but now you have people who can do that, and um, you can still sell it. You can add it to your garage. You can salvage it for resources, or you can research it to get uh, ship hulls and occasionally technology off of some of the special uh, enemy ships that exist in the game. Um, so that's pretty neat. It, it makes it feel a lot more like there, there's a good strategy to going around being your own sort of space pirate commandeering vessels all the time. Um, and especially in the early game and even a little bit in the mid game as well, when certain resources are scarce, I found myself privateering and just capturing as many ships as I possibly could for those valuable resources or credits. Um, later on in the game, 
um, the, the, the story comes back into focus and you've kind of hit a point where your empire is, is self-sustaining as long as you keep an eye on it every once in a while to make sure that other factions aren't trying to invade your territory. Um, the capture and mechanics are basically you hold the key points in a sector of space, either denoted by like um, a, a, a base or outpost of some kind or a planet. Um, you know, you capture and hold that and then the sector of space becomes yours and you get taxes from it and resources and new mission opportunities and stuff. Um, and just every once in a while, you have to check to make sure that those aren't uh, the enemy's not trying to invade them. And if a key battle does start, you get like a musical cue and a notification that pops up so you can look at the map and direct your forces around or go deal with it yourself. But, you know, like I said, at a certain point, your empire kind of becomes self-sustaining and you focus back in on the mission goals. And that's kind of where I am right now. I'm researching some kind of Death Star type super weapon for some reason. Um, I, I've played, this is probably the weakest point of at least the main campaign is the story is fine for a little bit. It's pretty, pretty standard sort of sci-fi space opera affair. There's a plot and there's some backstabbing and some double crossing and someone who think you think is trustworthy isn't. And someone who you think is trustworthy actually turns out to be trustworthy and you know, some of that stuff. And that's, you know, all fine and dandy. I love that sort of B movie schlocky sci-fi action type stuff. Um, but then the story just kind of goes off the rails for no reason. And I, I think that it's like, they're trying to be a little bit B movie, but also a little bit Star Wars-y with like, I mean, it's not a literal Death Star, but it's basically a Death Star. It's like, oh yes, we need to build this special weapons project from the old Empire days that can destroy a planet if we need to. And that can allow us to deal with the main bad guy of the campaign, like the main threat. And I'm like, wait. I've got a couple dozen, like, super capital ships in my army, and you want to build a super weapon to blow up a planet instead of just, like, blockading it and taking it over like I did this other stuff? It it, it goes off the rails a little bit, and it, it's become kind of a resource sink. I'm, I'm essentially capturing every free territory on the map that's controlled by pirates or the main enemy faction, and making the other factions in the game basically all love me because I'm killing all the pirates and gaining their territory to build up resources to research and develop the super weapon. And occasionally, like, you hit a milestone and then you go and you do another story mission, which are hitting the, um, I'll, I'll use the hotly debated industry phrase of ludonarrative dissonance, um, issues of, it's like, oh yes, so-and-so is getting ready to invade our, our territory. And it's like, I took that shit over in all of the neighboring territories like three hours ago. What do you mean they're getting ready to invade from this point? I own that space. Uh, so It's from the space between spaces. I guess. So from a story perspective, the game starts to break down a little bit. But the overall gameplay is a blast. I love big capital ship content. Um, I, That was my favorite thing to do my second favorite thing to do in a, in a game like Eve online, you know, the, like the industrial stuff was first. And then second was like, okay, I want to be like a carrier captain. And so the, if, if I, in one of these games, if there are like race or faction options for like, which one has got the most drones or which one that gets to do carrier stuff. I always pick that one because that's some of my favorite gameplay mechanics. So getting to fly a carrier around that can dump, wings of fighters and just blow everything up and I kind of cackle maniacally the whole time is a blast. Um, following sort of in the 
freelancer trappings of things and other games like that. Um, you know, it does have an economy system that is basically broken. Um, and in the early game, it's kind of worthwhile to go around and, and do some trading. And it's definitely worthwhile, even in the mid game, to be doing mining and salvaging operations on your own. Because every time you mine or go to like um, a space battle where there's, you know, space junk, you know, hulks of spaceships, um, and you can use mining equipment or like salvaging drones and stuff. Like you do those things, and not only do you get resources to sell yourself, but it also puts resources into your empire, you know, resource pool. So, you know, there's a certain type of ore or a certain type of asteroid that you can find that gives you, um, you know, you've got three basic resources, metals, ores, and gases, which I like that it doesn't, you know, give you like 57 different resources to manage. It kind of clumps all of your resources in the three major groups. And so if you go like ice mining, for example, you can get ore and gas from mining those asteroids. If you go... Um, salvaging, you can get metals and ores, or gas, really, depending on what things you salvage. And there's other ores that give you metals and ore, and, you know, etc. Et like, that's a nice level, and it's certainly worthwhile um, to to do, and there are certain abilities that give you bonuses for doing that. But, um, you know, after kind of... After the early game, trading is kind of pointless on an individual scale. Um, and then after the mid-game, you don't really need to do that anymore. Uh, you don't need to go mining on your own unless you just want to. So those systems kind of get thrown away. But it's nice that they're included and they're actually meaningful beyond just like, I'm going to shoot some space rocks for some cash. Um, it does a couple other neat things. Like everyone recognizes that like you're the boss. And if you sh- like hail ships that are of your faction, they will address you by your title and, you know, basically serve your needs. So if you find a trading ship and you want to offload all of your inventory, but not go back to a starbase or a planet, just hail a vessel, and they will take your stuff off of your hands for you. Or if you um, need to quickly replenish your space marine forces on your ship, and you don't want to wait for them to sort of... They, they regenerate on their own over time, sort of like, ah, oh, yes, after combat, we're healing in the med bay or whatever. And then if you go to a starbase, they immediately heal up. But if you want to replenish them quickly while you're out in the field... Um, just hail one of the combat ships in your fleet or a passing fleet and you can beam fresh troops over stuff like that. Like little interactions like that. That's like, I'm the boss. I get what I want. I want you to take all this shit off my hands and give me all of your space Marines, please. Things like that are really nice. Um, but, uh, out, I mean, outside of that, there's, there are some other things to explore. There's an arena or like a, a combat arena that has been added and it's been in every previous game before. Um, that's where you get the new War Masters from. Whenever you beat an arena, there's specific limitations. Like an arena might only let you use, um, you know, frigates, and you have to complete all these challenges with just a frigate. Or it might just be like, you know, you can use any ship you want, but the difficulty is insanely high. But once you beat all of these arenas, a War Master shows up and is like, hey, I like your style. Let me join your fleet. And uh, so they join you. And like I said earlier, War Masters are essentially player level strength characters um so that's a lot of fun uh they each have their own personalities and art styles that are uh, i think sent in by like patreon backers from previous games or something like that like in starpoint gemini 2 i like uh got katie into the game 
by because like I, I did like an early preview or review of the game and um made nice with the developers and they put her in and so she's one of the uh what are they called the notorious 10 or something like that like she's one of like the um the pirate lords in the game and she flies a carrier so anyways i think that they did that for warlords as well and so the all of these people are based off of submissions from others um and sort of speaking of that there's a bounty system that was added after the fact and you can go chase down like high value targets and get a lot of money and they're really difficult and have some special quests attached to them in order to get them. So there's a lot of stuff to do and it's a very, mm, some aspects of the world are very deep and thought out. And some of it is kind of the mile wide, but you know, inch deep sections. Like, like the main game is pretty shallow, but there's a lot to do. And so, and it's a very fun sandbox. The, Combat systems are all really good and balanced until they're not anymore because either the game needs to be challenging all of a sudden or you're just OP. And there certainly is fun in that. Like, I don't think that it's bad. It's not so much that it's bad, but sometimes it's a little bit jarring. So, I mean, oh, it's it's an interesting concept and I can't wait to explore the additional camp uh, campaigns and content that is from the DLCs. Like I said, I've just been playing the main campaign. And there are three DLCs that add story content. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to playing through those. Overall, it's definitely a buy. And it's like it right now it's uh, on sale. Like the bundle is on sale. But I mean, the, the series goes on sale pretty frequently. I would say that if you're interested, skip the first one. It's not like a bad game, but it very clearly shows that at the time, like this was an indie, really small dev team that you know had a had a a hope and a prayer and some passion and they made something that's really janky but charming the second one is a really thought out well done game that i think is the best introduction to the series and then this one might be a little much for someone who's not interested in the faction control stuff and the new one that is in early access right now starpoint gemini 3 is a back to a focus on small ship combat so it's like fighters and things like that I haven't played it yet, but I really like it. I recommend it. Like if, if you typically like the types of games that I recommend, I think you will like this. It's It's got a lot of stuff right up someone's alley who likes a good dose of, of B-movie goodness and charm um, with a, a really good space combat system. And Just ignore uh, the fact that they ignore all your accomplishments in the story, all right? <laughs> no, they acknowledge all of your accomplishments in the story. Oh, wait, never mind. You're talking about when with the story campaign that's... Yeah, never mind. I got you. When they tell you to go, like, take over an area that you've already taken over. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, be be prepared to, that they ignore that. But they do call you whatever your title is based on your level. Like, right now, I think I'm Regent. They're like, oh, yes, Regent. How might I serve you? It's like, you're damn right you're going to serve me. But anyways, two thumbs up. Hardy recommend if you like this type of game. Um, and that's that's all the games that we're going to do this week for games that we played. Both of us had quite a few, but you know, we're going to we're going to save those cuz now we're going to go talk about another game for the game club unless you need a break or something. No, I think I'm all right. Okay. So, for anyone who's joining us for their first ever game club, uh Rach and I often play 
very different games, and even when we play the same game, it's often at different times. And then See, this is a way uh, for us to seasons. Indeed, very different times. Um, and this is a way for us to come together and play the same game at the same time and discuss it from our own perspectives and ways that we like to approach games. And for July, we chose Gears Tactics, which is available on Steam, but uh, we both played it through Game Pass because we have Xbox Game Pass for PC. Yeah, and it's um, a, still a hell of a good deal, even though sometimes it pisses us off. Indeed. Um, Gears Tactics is a squad-based, or a squad-sized turn-based tactics game. Think um, the more modern XCOM, but without things like base building, and you can never increase your squad size past four. Um, yeah, it's, initially- uh, it's essentially uh, XCOM light. In yeah. some respects. In some respects. But it also in does some, some respects, it's it does some, it does some things differently, which let's just dive right into it then, huh? Indeed. Um, I was a little worried at first. Uh, I, I was looking forward to the game. Like, I was looking forward to it when it was first announced. But I was worried. Uh, anyone who has played the Gears of War main series, I guess, the, the third-person shooter Gears of War, um, probably understands where my initial reservation is going to come from because that's a fast-paced third-person shooter that really focuses on, you know, sort of the bloody, gory, like, difficulty... And chest high that. walls. And chest high walls, yes. And being um, and a clear trader. Yes. Um, and, but I, I, I wondered, like, how well that would translate or how they could translate it to Gears, you know, into a turn-based tactics game. And I think they did a really good job um, at how they captured the spirit of Gears of War in a turn-based game. Um, Combat itself, they don't do a grid or a hex-based system of any kind. I'm sure there's like some kind of points on the map where your movement tracks, but you have very a, a high degree of freedom in your movement. Um, you never have more than four people in your squad, which matches the, the third-person shooter, but the way that they get around limitations of you facing you know, dozens of enemies, potential enemies at a time, is that there are plenty of ways for everyone to gain additional action points based on their class, which we'll get into classes in just a uh, minute. And also but... the fact that you're able to swap between characters pretty easily and you're not locked into, okay, move this one and take your action. Move this one, take your action. Uh, you're able to set up a lot easier as well. Yeah, you can shoot multiple times. You can spend all of your points on movement. You, you're not locked into any set order. You can take half a character's turn and then swap a character to a different character. Oftentimes, doing an action with a character will give other people around them uh, actions or additional action points. So, for example, like executions. Like, that's a big thing in Gears. Like, most weapons have their own specific execution animation, um, which is when an enemy is downed kind of in their... They're, they're about to die state, but they could be revived. If you do an execution on them, you get a unique animation. Um, probably the most memorable one for Gears of War is are the chainsaw <coughs> um, the chainsaw kills or like curb stomps, maybe. All of those exist in here, which is nice to see. But whenever you pull off an execution, all of the other characters around you get an action point added to their total for for that round so anyone who's out of actions gets another one and then you know someone who has you know four action points they it jumps up to five and you know so on um so that that helps um from a health standpoint like characters do have a maximum health 
<clears throat> that hovers around 500. Um, there are certain character classes that can get more health, and there's ways to go above the maximum in a in a mission. But you know, just for sake of talking, it you know, I'm gonna say 500. Um, when when a character goes down, as long as they're not like outright killed while they're down, they can be revived, and they just lose one quarter of their health. So you know, 125 off of their max total health. And so a character can be downed several times in combat without actually being out of the fight. So that's nice. That helps you not get overwhelmed. <coughs> so overall, between the executions and the down mechanics and the the ability for everyone to gain, have a way to either themselves gain or sort of gain action points for others on the team, it keeps the pace really fast for a turn-based game. So I feel like they captured the spirit of Gears of War very well. And I was there's very a lot of chest-high walls. There are a lot of chest-high walls. There's some full-size walls as well, but plenty of chest-high walls. Um, but anyway, so what's what's the first avenue of discussion you would well, like well, to Well, I also wanted to talk about mechanic-wise, uh, how they changed up Overwatch, where instead of just sitting there and anything that's in pure vision, it... Uh, you shoot at it. in Gears Tactics. They also have it where it's a cone of fire, and it adds a lot more uh, strategic options for it. And the more points you have remaining when you enter Overwatch, it adds that many reflex actions you could take as well. So then it enters this where. You get set up with your sniper with three or possibly more, depending on the actions you take during the uh, turn you take, mm-hmm. and just pin down this one corridor. And if your sniper has particular skills or a particular loadout on their weapon, which is something we need to talk about as well, uh, yep. they could just pick off multiple enemies uh, in their Overwatch. And I found that a very interesting change where it's a very simple thing but it changes this uh, the strategic layer so much just instead of overwatch being kind of a uh, well i don't really have a good shot may as well go into overwatch it makes it a more offensive tool as well as just a kind of a yeah i have nothing else i could do yeah um and there are enemies that are introduced later. Uh, so I got farther than, than Rage did. There are enemies that are introduced later um, called Tickers that whenever they are attacked, they get to move freely. So you want to fight them with Overwatch instead of shooting at them because they're already moving when you shoot them. So they don't get any additional movement if you shoot them while doing Overwatch. And there's there's some other enemies that that comes into consideration for as well. But yeah, Overwatch, the way that it's handled, I think is the best that has ever been handled on any of these games that I've seen have Overwatch. Because Overwatch, like you said, always felt almost like a throwaway most of the time. Because it's like, well, you know, I moved and there's a nobody in range, so I guess I'll Overwatch if somebody or shows up. Or it's or, better than taking that you know, 20% shot. And also right. the fact that uh, this uh, uh, game has partial hits, which that's something I've uh, kind of, after noticing it... Uh, I haven't played XCOM 2 yet. I've only played XCOM 1. Hits in tactical RPGs or, well, tactical strategy games, but this is technically your RPG as well. 
uh, is very binary. Uh, you either hit or you don't. But there's also the partial hits in this one where it makes a lot more sense because it's machine guns for the most part. Yeah, so XCOM 2 does have partial hits. They're called grazes. Um, but the way that it works in Gears Tactics is a lot better, in my opinion. Um, grazes in XCOM 2 can only do a maximum of three damage, um, which sometimes makes sense, but other times doesn't make sense based on the weapon that you're using. Whereas Gears Tactics, the partial hits make a lot more sense, I think because the damage values are larger overall, like the health pools are larger and the, and the damage values for weapons. Um, so a partial hit feels like it's still substantial. You know, you might like if, if a shot is going to do a hundred damage, for example, a partial hit might do, you know, 40. And that feels a lot better than three, even though mechanically speaking, they're in the same ballpark for percentage figures. It, it feels better because you're right. It's like I am shooting machine guns. So if I shoot a bunch of rounds and I hit somebody twice, like, you know, I'd expect it to do a little more damage. But anyways, yeah, the, the partial hits are nice. I like that. And it also encourages you to play partial hits also in XCOM 2 are governed by like their own it, it, like a different skill stat. I don't want to get like into the full breakdown of it, but essentially unless you're building a character in such a way where they could get an increased chance of partial hits, there's really no point. You're still better off holding your fire. Whereas in Gears, it feels more like just sort of a percentage, like a flat percentage chance. Like if you're shooting at somebody with a machine gun, you get like a dice roll or something behind the scenes on whether or not you're going to get a partial hit. It doesn't feel like it's tied to any stat as far as I know. And so it still encourages like, well, you know, I've got like a 50% shot. You know, it, it's maybe it's it's still worth it. I might still get some partial damage. I might, you know, pull some aggro or something like, you know, it, it feels like more worth it to take a riskier shot. I think the action economy helps with that as well. Like we've been saying, like you get so many more actions by default anyways on a turn. And that's not even including, well, uh, you were talking about executions, but uh, my sniper had it where, or my primary sniper, I had two, where if she got a hit with a particular ability, she would use one action point to shoot. And if she got the hit, she would get two back. Yeah. uh, The double Mm -hmm. down ability. Or... Uh, to be able to, if she uh, killed with uh, another ability she had with one action point, uh, she would automatically reload her weapon, which uh, saves an action point in the long run. So using that yep. on a pretty much sure kill uh, made it so that I had more options later on or be able to use that as an extra ability in Overwatch. Uh, my supports had the Empower ability, which allowed me to essentially transfer one action point from them to someone else. So if their gear or their abilities gave them a bunch of action points, I could transfer for them off to someone else, or if someone else was in a better position for my engagement, I was able to move things around to such a degree that it felt like I had a lot more control of the battlefield than... I really have had in any other tactics game, really. Yeah. It it, it felt really good. Yeah, then there's the bayonet charge ability, um, where that if you kill an enemy with a bayonet charge, you get a free action. Um, And I think there's a version of that as well that that instantly resets the bayonet cooldown, so you can do it again. Then you can chain those together. The scout has got one that's like a, I forget what it's called, a rampage or something like that. 
Um, and if you, like, every time you get a kill, you uh, get another action. And so you can chain, like, there's actually an achievement for chaining five rampage kills in a row together um, by getting the free actions from the kills themselves. So, um, and th- and there's other ones. So they, the, the, the game allows for a lot more character customization through skill progression. You get, th- there's four base classes, and then each of the classes have got essentially four branches that you can go down. Now, you can pick and choose where you want to go, so you can partially explore two or all four branches, or you can really focus down a specific tree based on that, that character's actual play style or weapon loadout or whatever. And so that's where these abilities are coming from. And there's some things that are just flat-out stat increases, like more health or, you know, more action points. Or um, for a support character, you know, you can do a heal. Or it might specialize when, or make you better with one of the types of grenades. Um, because in Gears of War, there's, um, you know, basically, there's a frag grenade, there's a healing grenade, and there's another grenade um, that I haven't... Or no, there's a smoke grenade. Um and so you can be specialized in those, you know, and, and so on and so forth, like through these four trees. But you can have, you know, the same classes can be drastically different from one another, depending on which way you've progressed down the tree, which is really nice. Um, <clears throat> you have hero characters, and there are three main hero characters, and then a fourth one that if you either pre-ordered the game or played it through Game Pass early enough, that you got um it's it's cole uh from the the main series but like during his blitzball days or not blitzball blitzball is final fantasy i think, what, it, I think it, it is blitzball is it blitzball it's it's this game's equivalent of football um american football um you know it's it's back in those days so he's got like his his uniform um but anyway so he's also a hero character but you can have up to 10 is 10 how many I have? Something like 10 or 12 support characters that you get throughout. Oh, Thrashball, sorry. Um, Thrashball, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Blitz was, uh, was one of his abilities on one of his uh, pieces of armor. Yeah, but um, anyways, you can have, a, it's, it's like 10 or 12 is what I have. I'm in Act 3, so you, you might be able to get more, but I also might be at the cap. But some of them you can get through missions, like rescue missions. Um, there's one that's in Act 1 as like the main campaign. But then there are uh, secondary missions that you get later on, or side missions. Um, and so you, some of those missions are, you know, going and rescuing people who have been captured by um, the Locust. And they get added to your team. You also can just straight up recruit people later on. Um, and they also level up, although it does the thing that I don't like. That if you don't use someone, they don't level up. And to a certain extent, I understand that, like not giving them skill points or whatever, but just flat out, like someone who's level four is way weaker than someone who's level 10. Yeah. Like, and in they, all ways. And they also do something where I'm assuming it comes more into play later on that you can only use characters once up until a story mission. So if you have yep. to do more than one or two side missions you haven't been leveling up all your characters, it seems like you'd be kind of screwed. Yeah, basic, it basically, like, I'm not sure why they did it this way, because it makes the characters you get early on disposable, because they become impossible to keep leveled with everyone else. Sort of the main characters, it doesn't matter as much. They're used in so many story missions that they're 
pretty close to max level, even if you're not specifically like grinding them out to level them up. But the side characters, uh, yeah, it's really hard to keep them leveled. So you're basically just throwing them away to get new ones that fill whatever role that you need and then going on from there. But the characters that you pick up already have their skill points assigned. And there's a you can respec them, but it costs resources that you have. Yeah, it costs these tokens that you get, and you only have so many. And, you know, I suppose I, you know, at this point, like, I'm going to wind up beating the game without using any of the tokens. But, you know, you only have so many. And once they're gone, they're gone. So, um, the, and, and the hero characters cover three of the four classes. Um, so if you want to use the guys with the big machine guns, I'm drawing a blank on what the class name is called. The heavy, yeah, the heavies. They've got mini guns, basically. If you want to use one of those guys, they're only available as side characters. So you have to have one of those guys and level them up. Yeah. And, uh, Um, they're also, that's the one that I had the trouble, the most trouble w- working with because the game is so movement focused and heavies are, uh, get a bonus for essentially staying in one place and being point defense. And on some mission types, I think that would be worthwhile, but for most of them, I just, I never found a place for. Yeah. There's the defense missions, um, where you have to defend a specific point while your team like collects resources and it's basically like a king of the hill thing. Like you hold the point on the map for the specified number of turns. Yeah, they're great for yeah, those. That's, yeah, that's and, the one time I really got to use the heavy. Every other time, it felt like I wasn't using them properly when I brought them along. Because, uh, okay, well, great. Now I need to move him, and he's going to lose his like ten or fifteen percent bonus because he's been anchored for the last couple of turns. Yeah, they by by default, just listener by default, they get an accuracy bonus. The I mean, it, it does cap out after a few turns, but they get an accuracy bonus for the more time, more turns they spend in the same location. And it's damage um, too, isn't it? I think it was accuracy uh, and damage. It might be. That might be like part of the level up progression. It, it'd be an accuracy and damage. I, I mean, I barely used them. Um, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, but... I had basically one sniper, which was Michaela, the, the main character. And then I had a backup sniper in case she was unavailable for a mission and I needed a sniper. And then I had Diaz, who was the support. And then I had another support guy for backup. And then um, Cole and what's-his-face. I said his name earlier, but I'm trying to look on his name, too. Gabe? Sergeant Sergeant guy. No, Gabe is, is Diaz. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm thinking... Like, I called him by his last name because he's, like, the father of another one of the characters in the series. Ah. Oh. See, so, um, yeah, I'm not... Ver- Sid, it's Sid. I, I'm not versed on uh, the lore. Yeah. It's it's Sid, the sergeant guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Cole, one that the one that kicks off the entire story, essentially. Yeah, Cole and Sid are both um, the same class, the uh, the soldier class, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. with the rifles with bayonets. So, you know, they basically provided the the counter anchor, or you know, the the opposite to each other in case I needed one of them on a mission. So that I mean, and, and I mean that was it, like the. Those are all the the characters that I used the whole game. Like once I got into that, yeah. See, um, you know, I think that's also where I kind of uh, got screwed over. Was I tried to spread out the XP a little bit, or at least as much as I could. So I only had a couple people that were really lo- leveled, and the other ones were kind of. Eh. Yeah, I did that in Act One, and then in Act in Act in Act blah, 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 words in Act Two. 
it forces you to split up your main characters and it's it's like it's, it's part of the story um but essentially each one is taking like a specific task that they go do and they bring along the other non-main story characters and that's when i realized like okay basically i just need a main person and a backup yeah see i didn't and get then- that far I, I got to the end of act one and the game kind of screwed me over the big boss that throws some new mechanics at you uh it split up my party and it put my two supports on one side and then um my sniper and uh, my uh, soldier class on the other. And there's this thing in the universe called uh, E-Holes, where enemies uh, basically crawl out of a sinkhole. And I got swarmed on one side of the map because I couldn't close it because the only way to close it was with a frag grenade. And my two supports had the stem grenades. So, yeah. Yeah, it's... So... I guess now's a good time to talk about the story and some of the way that the story progresses. And this is my biggest problem with the game. Because it's... Act 1 really serves as an extended tutorial, I think, for the game. Like, you've got the first couple of levels that are, the like, the actual tutorial. But Act 1 pretty much familiarizes you with the the tactics and the gameplay... And sort of, I think, gets you, like, used to how the game plays. For anyone who is is not a, uh, a turn-based strategy person, or even someone who has, like, a lot of familiarity with turn-based strategy because of how different it is. And then Act 1, the, the Act 1 boss throws you a huge curveball, and then you get past that, and Act 2 opens the game up in a lot of different ways. So E-holes, the only way you can get rid of those, like, in Act 1, is with a frag grenade. In Act 2... There are three additional weapons that you gain access to that can destroy sinkholes and or e holes, and I think there's an ability that does it as well. Oh, that would be that, nice that you get. Uh, but you don't have any of that in Act One. It happens in Act Two once you leave the city area after you uh, kill the Brumok, which is the boss. It's like a big, I don't know, dinosaur like uh, yeah, monster it's essentially, that they mount big fucking guns. Uh, on. Yeah, it's essentially a T Rex fuck a battle mech. Yeah, that's a really good, yeah, that's a good good way to say it. Um, but, like, pretty quickly, you're introduced to, oh, and there's also a mission type that even though their e-holes can pop up, they get closed automatically on the mission type. But, so, yeah, like, they and they just pop out infinite reinforcements until you close them. Uh, um, actually, uh, at least uh, the one time I left them open, uh, they, three rounds, and then they close. But the thing is... I ran out of, uh, you know, I just had too many on me. I'm you not- know, I've I've literally never had one stay open for three three rounds. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, I, bragging, but, like, I just, well, I, I got luckier on that split up than you did. Like, I, I had everybody with frag grenades except for, for Gabe. Yeah, see, and I... And so I could close the holes. Yeah, see, I, uh, on one of the missions, I used my frag grenades. Uh, so I was on cooldown. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, in Act 2, these are enemy-dropped weapons. Like, you can't equip them, but they start showing up fairly frequently in missions. There's the Boom Shot, which is like a grenade launcher. And there's the Torque Bow, which is a bow that shoots grenade-tipped arrows. I thought you were going to say they, bo- it shot bows. <laughs> yo, no, yo, that'd just, be great. Yo, just a nice, uh, yo, uh, lacy bow towards the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um... 
But, uh, you know, those two weapons can also close E-holes, and you get pretty... You, you get pretty regular access to them. So you've got frag grenades, you've got those two weapons, there's a mission type that is like, the locusts are, are shelling an area. It's it's a variant on like, the, we need to collect some resources and get out of here. It's like the locusts are shelling an area with their version of artillery. And you can just ignore E-holes, because as the artillery sweeps across the map, it it destroys them, or seals them up. So usually you get, there's one turn of reinforcements that will come out of an E-hole, and you could destroy it, but you can see, like, on the map, like, the wave of um, shells that are coming. So it's like, well, I could waste a grenade on this E-hole, or I could just move on and let the artillery kill the reinforcements that spawn and close the hole. So you don't even have to worry about them in those modes. But anyways, like, the, the game really opens up in terms of gear that you can get, so you can... You can customize your characters. Um, you get gear, which for the most part are some type of flat boost. There's some more interesting stuff a little bit later on that I found. Um, but typically it's like, uh, you know, your gun might only have three shots before you have to reload. And it gives you an additional one. Or it's a damage increase. Or, um, you know, you get one free reload that doesn't cost an action. Or... Things like that, and then there's gear that reduces, like armor that reduces damage or increases your health or increases your movement speed, um, it, and it can also do a few other things, like that have abilities tied to it, again, later on. Um, so you can equip this gear, and there's usually set bonuses if you've got matching uh, chest piece, legs, boots, and head. Um, there's set bonuses for certain things. And then, otherwise, you can customize it, you can paint it, there are different armor effects like rusted versus pristine and shiny or whatever um so that's nice but for the most part it's a really finicky system that like the bonuses are nice for the gear but the actual customization there's no way to like save and apply all so that you can have like a, a matching armor aesthetic across your team um and it can get really confusing on like what's equipped to who yeah, the, Where, yeah, I would have killed for a unequip everyone button from XCOM. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, sorry. That to becomes. I know oh you're good. That becomes a little bit of an, a less of an issue when I started being like, all right, no one else matters except for these like eight people. You know, my four mains and my four backups. So that that helps, but it's still it, it's still finicky there as well because sometimes it can be a little bit unclear, like. Okay, what does this actually increase? Like, some of them, like, damage bonuses are are straight, you know, they make sense. But some of the others later on that are more, like, ability changes or things that, like, affect your movement speed or certain resistance types to damage are not as clear and could use, like, some better tooltips or a slightly more verbose explanation about what exactly it is that they do. Because it's, like, minus 15, you know, toxic it's like, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean that I, I take 15% less damage from, like, the poison cloud enemies that show up later on? Or is it, like, you know, 15%, 15 points? Well, I think does- part of the problem is the UI is a holdover from the console at, at release. So we're, we're used to a bit more tooltips and a bit more verbose explanation of what's going on. And it's just we don't have that because it's kind of the Elder Scrolls problem where it's the con- the, uh, the UI was built around the console 
So everything is in these odd sub-menus on, uh, uh, on the equipment. And it's just, it's wasting a lot of screen in real estate while not telling you a fucking thing half the time. Yeah. Um, the game also, okay, let's see. In my mind, it's just gone in like three places at once. Um, how much do you want to talk about the actual story? Uh, we could cover a bit of it. I mean, I didn't get terribly far in it. I basically got, uh, there's, uh, this big bad that, uh, could somehow, oh, I have to admit, the, Michaela, the sniper, she basically ran my fucking mind of, they were talking about, okay, now how are we going to take this guy down? And she just fucking shoots the big bad, uh, <laughs> in the head. Shoots him in his fucking face. Yeah. And he gets up. But, yeah. But I realized, you know, uh, he had to get up or, you know, something had to happen. But thank you for having a sniper that actually fucking shoots someone. Yeah. I mean, she, she's she's my favorite. She's a she is a badass. I love her. She's I think the best character in the whole story. Yeah, the civilian, right? Yeah, the civilian. Um, I also love that she calls them fascists because that's what they are. That's that's just what they are in universe. They're basically fascists who just happen to, uh, you know, well, I don't know how much I want to get into a lore discussion. I go for it a little bit. I mean, okay, so the locusts were created by the humans. Um, they, humans use this stuff called emulsion, which is in this universe kind of the equivalent of nuclear power. But think about, you know, wh- what pop culture thought of nuclear energy and nuclear weapons Basically, in you know, the, uh, the 50s and 60s. Yeah, it's, it's Fallout-esque, but sort of played to this universe. So, um, emulsion causes um, diseases and mutations in people, and humanity got into this massive resource war um, over emulsion, and the government that the Gears fought for um, essentially monopolized the entire supply of emulsion worldwide. Um, and then when other company or companies, when other countries wanted some, they went to war with them. And there was this huge decades-long worldwide war over this emulsion stuff. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that was a very interesting lore discussion. I didn't hear a fucking word of it, but I'm sure it was interesting. Yeah, I don't know. The more I talked, like I I get that you couldn't hear me at at best I was cutting in and out. The more I talked, the more I realized that honestly the lore doesn't matter all that much unless you just get super invested in like the books and stuff. It doesn't matter. Like, weird monsters, explosions, chainsaw kills is what Gears of War has always been about. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, that's what I gathered from uh, just kind of watching it on the sidelines. Uh, But, you know, it was... Well, it seemed interesting what I could hear. You know, know, the, you know, like, five seconds of that, what, like, two minutes? Yeah, something like that. I mean, in, in the actual main story, the big bad is this guy named Ukon, who is like a they're mad scientist and he's got some type of ability or technology that lets him regenerate from any injury, even ones that should kill him instantly. Um, You're like getting shot in the fucking face. Yeah. And that's sort of the point of the whole game. You're trying to track him down and kill him. And there's some fuckery going on from your government and some stuff that happens uh, like in act two, and then in Act 3, 
because I'm, I think, about halfway through Act 3. Like, I, I figured out, like, the twist, like, pretty quickly what that was going to happen in Act 2 and then where it was going to lead in Act 3 to where I am now. Like, it didn't surprise me. But I still, I like, I don't want to spoil it still well, for anyone who well, wants go to ahead play it. And message it to me because I'm kind of interested in what it is because, uh, well, I didn't get that far to even try to guess at it. Right. Okay. Let's see. Why don't you talk for a minute while I type this up to you? Uh, well, uh, let's see. Where are we talking about uh, the story? Uh, I, well, there, my big problem with the game, uh, it's something I kind of alluded to before we started recording. Uh, yeah, but also kind of applaud the game for, strangely enough, is it's non-random maps. Uh, typically in these games, you have, at best, set pieces with uh, random maps overall. And this, it's all handcrafted maps uh, with... Oh, that's something we need to talk about as well. Loot crates, eventually. Uh, right. The, the gear drops. But anyway, uh, you have set set pieces which I realize is kind of repeating myself, but I applaud it for that, where playing XCOM, it always feels a little bit odd to have just these weird random maps that you go on uh, outside of main story missions. But on the flip side with this, it kind of kills the replay value for me to, uh, I I don't really want to play the first chapter anymore or the first act outside of, Maybe leveling my guys some more, if that's possible. I know that you can reset your progress. I'm not sure if you get extra XP out of it or what, but it's going to be the same set pieces over and over again. And also, I feel like it's eventually going to lead to, uh, there's the right way to handle a particular situation, a right way to handle a particular map. And I'm a little concerned about that happening in the long run. Yeah, I'm not sure. Possibly. There's I, I would I would say there's probably an optimal way to handle every map. Um and then how much do you want to challenge yourself by playing the suboptimal way? Yeah. I think that goes away a little bit more in the later game as you develop the classes more because their abilities can be huge game changers in weird situations. But in the early game when you're much more limited, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh in act 1 it feels like there is an exact right way to handle a map or an exact right uh, combination of classes. You know, you bring your sniper and this, this, and this. Uh, it's a defense mission. Well, bring out, you know, blow the dust off the heavy and bring him out. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, that's kind of the downfall of handcrafted maps, isn't it? Yeah, there's certainly, there. there's pros and cons. Um, and in a game like this, I, I think that's probably a con. But it's nice to see hand all the maps being handcrafted versus procedurally generated. Yeah. Because there are little pieces that you can find to them that's like, oh yeah, somebody thought to hide something here. And it wasn't just placed the there by an algorithm. Yeah. Which uh, I guess we'll go ahead and talk about how you get loot with the loot crates. That That's an odd one. I, thankfully, at least as far as I can tell, it's no microtransactions. It's nothing you buy into. It's just... Uh, scattered throughout the map, there's resources that you can pick up. And usually they're along the way, sort of, but uh, like in, in little nooks or crannies or uh, in a building that you may have to sidetrack a little bit to get into uh, to get extra gear for your squad. 
And I'm not sure how random that is. If it's always the same thing or not. I didn't actually test that. But it felt just out of place. You know? I yeah. realized that the story, you know, you're, you're essentially a ragtag uh, group trying to uh, take down this one big bad. But just random loop feels odd, you know? It feels weird. And a yeah. handcrafted map, I guess I should say. Yeah, and it's and there's no way maybe it's to, just the, like... Uh, maybe it's just my overall distaste of loot crates that I've developed in the last, what, two, three years? Yeah. Uh, that definitely just, doesn't help. I saw I saw a loot crate and I was worried that you know oh no there's some sort of monetization here you know maybe yep, that's that was my that left a bad fear as well about, about the entire system uh, but there's this odd randomness that just isn't anywhere else in the game or at least anywhere else that I encounter that yeah and there's no way as far as I can tell to upgrade the equipment or trade it in in some way it's like you get it and as you progress through the game you do find better equipment. But then it's like, well, I can't do anything with this older stuff. Yeah. Like, what's the point? Yeah, and like, if you do a certain side objective, you'll uh, get an extra, essentially, loot crate to roll the dice. It's just odd. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just, it's just, there. there's a few things about this game that just feels a little bit out of place. And I think that's, I think that's one of them. But it does a lot of things right. That's the thing. Yeah, I think overall I'm much more positive on this game than I am negative about it. Like, the the difficulty spike from Act 1 is also present in Act 2 when you fight the boss at the end of Act 2, but because there are more tools available to you and the fight itself is, is a bit different, um, it, it was easier to beat, but still more difficult than a standard mission. Like, it, it's weird. Like, that's you think, like, well, that's what a boss is supposed to be like, but... You know, when you it suddenly the game is like, all right, all this stuff that you've been doing now, here's 14 other things that you have never seen before and you will never see again to deal with. That can be really frustrating. Yeah, or uh, the one thing that screwed me over was that, uh, okay, well, suddenly it's going to split my squad and take me completely out of the formation I was in. And because how I organized my squad, I'm assuming at least, I have no idea if it's true or not. Because I set up my squad where I have my two supports in uh, two slots and my sniper and my soldier in the other two slots. Well, it split my squad down the middle and put the two uh, supports on one side. Oh, I'm fucked. Because, well, uh, I didn't actually tell you how I lost that mission. I got overrun, but what happened was uh, the E-holes in that, uh, in that boss fight, they spawned a bunch of melee fighters. Well... Uh, they crawled up and just swarmed, I think it was, uh, Gabe actually, and downed him. And then the next turn, before I had a chance to try to revive him, uh, they basically, uh, meleeed him while he was down and killed him. And I was game over. You have to have your main story characters, your hero characters, survive an encounter. And that's why I didn't bring Cole half the time, was that I didn't want to take that risk because... If you take Cole, it's all four characters have to survive. With just taking a random, you know, I have someone that I could throw away if need be. Yeah, I took Cole most of the time because even though you you do hit that limitation, he's so powerful. Which might have been my mistake, you know? Yeah, because I had all four heroes for that fight. And Cole, Michaela, Gabe, and Sid. Yeah, see, I had three heroes and one random. And I just got utterly screwed because of my split. 
I mean, if they gave me an option to move people, I could go back to the checkpoint and uh, just swap them around. But I didn't. It was just, oh, I'm I'm past the checkpoint, so I have to play a good half an hour or so to get back to this point. And only thing I would have to change is either bring Cole, which I think he was a level down on the support I brought, which was the reason why I brought her, or swap out her grenade. It was so stupid. Yeah. And I just had no interest in replaying that. Don't get me wrong. The fight up, the mission up until that point was a, was a hell of a lot of fun because it was going across this long bridge and there was a lot of enemies to deal with and a lot of uh, nonstop action, uh, being able to uh, try to flank around and uh, deal with some fairly unique situations actually on that bridge. And I just uh, really enjoyed it up until, oh, I'm screwed because I I got to phase two. Maybe I could have delayed the phases, but the boss just has so much firepower that trying to delay it, assuming that it's tied to the phase system, it feels like I would be running the risk of just getting stomped because even though I died because Gabe got overrun by E-Hole, well, the boss was on the other side of the arena, stomping on my sniper and my soldier, just repeatedly, and I couldn't draw aggro off of him. Yeah, I I neutered the boss as fast as I, like I destroyed the arm cannons as fast as I could. The missiles are pretty easy to avoid, and then as long as he doesn't do, get too close, he can't do melee damage to you. Yeah, but that Although was they keep- that was the problem. I was uh, cornered. Once the e holes stop, they start dropping in people from little flying things so the reinforcements never stop oh goody but the bridge mission leading up to that fight i think is has so far been the best mission in the game there's another really good one in act two where there's like this temple that you go to you're trying to find a specific item that's supposed to be at this temple and you fight your way in and then back out and it had a similar feel to the bridge but I think the bridge benefits from being the first time that you really engage in that intensity of fast-paced combat. And so the bridge mission stands out as probably the best one in the game. Yeah, best slash worst, because (laughs) it kind of killed my progress uh, through the game as well. But that's just, eh. Yeah. So, uh, I'm I'm going to finish it. Um, I just didn't get enough time. I had some stuff going on this weekend. Uh dealing with some stuff yeah i talked to you about it yeah uh, uh sunday night yeah i had stuff pop up during the weekend and didn't want to play the game in front of an 11 year old yeah yeah no good that's a that's a good move but um i'm definitely going to finish this game like i think it's a, a solid thumbs up recommendation there's certainly some some caveats to yeah. it but overall it's a solid game yeah i think it is a, a fairly solid game overall uh, there are some things that just I wish they would have changed. I wish there was a better equipment uh, system for them to be able to deal out uh, various upgrades, be able to manage your equipment a lot easier. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that uh, they don't have a base building aspect. <laughs> well, you said it yourself. You build up a lot of essentially useless stuff overall. Uh, you uh, are very limited on the number of uh, characters that you have but 
that's coming down to a different type of management where it's about managing your overall actions instead of worrying about, okay, well, I need to get this upgrade so I can bring in my fifth guy or my sixth guy, like an XCOM. Instead, it's figuring out, okay, how can all these, uh, how can these four p- characters synergize best? Even though I really disagree with the idea of blocking off characters and then forcing you to run other characters while, you know, there's not really a good way to uh, level up a second set of characters short of replaying an act, maybe. It's just, there's a couple head-scratching moments. I will say that I really hope another game steals this Overwatch system, though. Yeah. that that's That's probably my big takeaway from this game, is just, I want this Overwatch system in another game. I want to see it again. I want to see how uh, it could be expanded upon. Even if it's just... Oh, and that is another thing we didn't really cover with the Overwatch system, is that it's reactive uh, not just uh, in between turns, but also uh, the enemies Overwatch as well, and use the same system. And if outside of actions that specifically say it, uh, it triggers on abilities as well, and uh, trying to shoot an enemy if you're in a cone of vision. So it's not just yeah. uh, it's not just movement like in uh, XCOM, it's reactive to enemy fire as well. That's why it's essentially an offensive defensive move. That's something that we failed to mention. That is true, and it also makes the pistol a really viable weapon because it has uh, like its special attack will knock or has a How- if it connects when used the special, it knocks an enemy out of Overwatch. Yeah, and the pistol typically has a longer uh, effective range than your primary short of the sniper. Yeah. But the sniper is usually not tied down into an overwatch. If it is, uh, you have serious problems. Oh, the grenades you bringing that up made me remember the grenades. The, the way that they work is the way that they work in the, um, in the shooter. So you can actually bounce, like you can see the path of the grenades and bounce them off of stuff. To get some crazy, like, sort of tactical fuckery going on with with bouncing grenades around corners or over walls, and like you can you can plan for it, so you can get some really cool moves going on with your grenade bounces, and then all of the grenades can be stuck into the ground to be used like landmines, which is a, which is another thing. In yeah, the game. which doesn't trigger the throw cooldown either. Right, but I think you can only do that twice. You only have per... two, you can only have two active. Right. Right. Which maybe there's an upgrade for that with a particular class, I'm not sure. But yeah, got, remember they, got one, the, but got yeah. the grenades are pretty versatile. It's just they are tied to a cooldown and at least early on uh, the uh, you need to hold on to at least one frag grenade into your party in case an e-hole pops up and it's just I found it very annoying. I did find the optional objectives to be kind of interesting though. But Having, uh, there's one where your squad could only reload five times total. But the thing is, if you wipe the battlefield and there's no enemies detected near you, your squad reloads uh, and it doesn't count. So it led to a situation of, okay, how can I uh, effectively take down four enemies without having to reload on two guys that are low ammo but have the better shot? Turns out the answer was usually frag grenade, but still. 
Right. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I'm assuming those uh, continue on later on in the game and probably get a little bit more crazy. Yeah, there's there are new and interesting things that happen with enemy reactions um, and then bonus objectives and all kinds of stuff. They do some very interesting things with that. Which I do think helps make up for a couple of the more lackluster, like, side missions. The bonus objectives are still really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the side mission where you could only... Uh, that was where you could only reload five times with a side mission. The other one had yeah. an option of... Uh, uh, it, you weren't allowed to take a support, I don't think. or No, you weren't allowed to take a scout. And there was some sort of odd side objective that gave an epic instead of a, a, a rare item, but... I ended up not doing that one. Uh, I was planning on doing them both before going to the story, but doing one locked me out of the other one, and it didn't make that particularly clear up to, before that, which was... Uh. Yeah, they don't make that clear early on. And then later, like, you can do more of the side missions, but there's always at least one that you can't do. So there might be three side missions, but you can do two of them. Yeah, but or yeah, but that four, and you can do three or whatever. Yeah, but that also locks you out of more classes as well, or more characters as well. Because remember, we talked about that before. If you take a character on a mission, you can't take them on another one until a story mission pops. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, that, that's a, a system that I really don't like because they they are trying to force you to level more than one essentially core team. But then they don't give you a way to really deal with it. If they had it where the people back at base get some passive experience, maybe. So they kept up a little bit. But I had a couple of new recruits that I wasn't able to take out because they were just so far behind. It just made no sense. Which is a real shame on a, a game like this. Because you want to be able to you know, have a lot of choices. You want to have a lot of tactical uh, options. But... Having you know, half your roster be underleveled in a game like this is a huge detriment. And usually there's some sort of catch-up mechanic at, through the base building aspect, but that's not available on this one because there is no base building. Yeah, there's no catch-up mechanic. Like I said, the best that you can do in a catch-up mechanic is that you do you are able to get new characters that are leveled to the level that you're at, but without spending your tokens... Um, then you can't customize what their their skills are or their abilities are like, which could be pretty detrimental to your playstyle. And there's no way to gain additional tokens throughout the game, so you 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 have a fixed number. Or if there is, I don't know how to do it. Now, what's what's interesting is we uh, I think we both did not reset our progress to replay missions. So, does that reset the levels or not? Yes, it does. it does. I looked it up online. Okay. Yeah, it just, it basically resets the chapter. Because I thought, okay, I will reset this to level up my side characters. You know, I'm I'm okay with doing that grind. And then I went and I looked it up online, and it resets your progress. Well, that's annoying. It's just a way for you to replay stuff if you, you know, if you fucked up a mission. Like in, the, in Act 1, you know, you can save those two uh, soldiers that you find. But also, if they die, then you just don't get them. So you could reset and redo it and to to save them. Yeah, it, yeah, it resets everything. I just found it. That's annoying. That could have been a way to try to uh, balance the the extra characters, but no. Uh, there's 
then there's really no reason to ever really fill out your entire uh, roster, is there? Nope. Not unless there's, I mean, maybe for like achievements or something, but I mean, I'm not interested in playing just for those, so. Not anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. Not these days. Not these days. Well, no, I mean, uh, you know, that second wave hits, right? <laughs> Very true. Don't you mean when that second wave hits? No, I mean if, because, hey, we aren't uh, at the end of the first That's wave. That's true. That's true. We've never finished the first wave here in, in America. Woo! The land of bad health care um, and stupid decisions. Yay. 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 All right. Um. So, yeah, we both recommend Gears of War, ta- or Gears Tactics. We each have our own reservations about it, but overall, we think it's a more positive than negative experience. Yes? Yeah, if you're a fan of uh, these squad tactics games, it is definitely worth checking out because it does some really interesting things with the genre. It does some interesting things with how the game handles certain mechanics. Uh, Odd little twist on certain things. There are some incredibly frustrating things, especially if you go into a mission that it throws a curveball at you that it had you had no indication on you know, about to do that, but overall, I think it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right, so that's it for Gears Tactics. Then, at least for now, um, never know when we might revisit something in a discussion later. But our next game club game for the month of August is uh, going to be Red Faction Guerrilla. So, Red Faction Guerrilla is an older game that's gotten a remastered or a remastered <laughs> version. Yeah, we're going to get our asses to Mars. Um, it's an open world game. Um, that The thing that I remember most from everything about it is like basically the entire world can be reduced to rubble. So, I'm looking forward to What do you mean can that. be? It's more like will be. Will be, you're right. Will be reduced to rubble by the time we're done with it. I believe the remastered edition is the most recent one, um, but there's also like an earlier, like complete edition or something. Um, it's also been available on multiple consoles, so there's a bunch of different places to to play it if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I know, the story content is congruous or congress across all the games, yeah. and it's just, like, graphical updates yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I'll probably play the remastered edition, because I got that uh, as a uh, free upgrade, because I own the original. Yeah, same. I have the Steam edition and the remastered edition. Yeah, which, it sounds like you're, like, way down south saying remastered. <laughs> uh, uh- <laughs> remastered! I mean, that's a deep southern accent. Indeed. I mean, any further south than you're going to have to be related to your wife. True that. Hey, we're both southerners. We're allowed to say that. That's true. Although I'm deeper south than you are, so. Yeah. There, I guess. I don't I don't know. Well, you got that going for you, which is nice. Mm, which is something. <laughs> we're both in, okay, let's put it this way. We're both in very red states. So. But ironically enough, Indeed. I'm in the redder state. So figure that one out. Well, you know, life is is strange. No, no, we covered that game already. Hey, there you go. All right. Um, it is. So we are back from our bathroom break, and we have I I I saw this, but I forgot about it. So I'm glad you brought it up. We have yeah. a wee bit of community corner yeah, no, after our discussion. 
but I've, I've finished it on, I fixed it on the show notes. Thank you. Um, after we did our, you know, our top game list or our, uh, transformative 12, transformative 12, uh, cube posted in the discord, his top games. Um, and he just said, based on the last feature episode, I decided to put together a list of my favorite games. Yeah. His is 11 with two top contenders and not really a game, but, uh, we'll go over it. Uh, he didn't really share reasons why or, or that they're on the list, but what the hell, right? Yeah. Uh, so his, uh, and I'm not sure if this is in any particular order. It doesn't look like if they're, it's in chronological or any particular genre. So, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, a, a pretty classic choice, I guess I should say, for cop game. Yeah. I mean, Knights of the Republic was on my list, so. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say that it's kind of like one of the de, de facto's uh, that's on a good ch- uh, a good chunk of uh, lists. Uh, best yeah. game of all time, or best RPG of all time. There, there's a reason why it's considered such a classic, right? Yeah, for sure. <coughs> um, and then he's got X-Wing slash TIE Fighter. Um, That's one I actually haven't played, so. They're fun. Um, they're very complicated. Uh, but I think, I don't know, I haven't played them in a long time, and I didn't have the benefit of playing them when they were new. <sighs> so, I don't know how well they, they hold up today in terms of gameplay. I'd say the complexity is a bonus, but also they're still very simple given for when they were released. So I don't know. I don't know how well they hold up, but they are, it, at the very least, were certainly <laughs> excellent games for the time. Yeah, and then Mass Effect 1 and 2, notably not 3, or the series. I wonder, yeah. I wonder if there's a particular reason for that one. I mean, 3, a lot of people, and this would be my guess, a lot of people were, were very let down by the ending of of Mass Effect, the the Mass Effect trilogy, with three, like specifically the actual ending of the game being a letdown, and then a lot of people feel like that three is weak in a lot of other areas, and I I can certainly understand that, like the close, like you know everything coming to a, a close, it's it's hard to stick the landing, and Mass Effect three is basically one long stick the landing because it's Act three of a of a three act story. So everything comes to a conclusion. Yeah, and I, I think the big problem with it is uh, that it didn't feel satisfactory. They they promised choices mattered, and at the end, for the that final choice, it really didn't matter everything up until that point. And I think that's why it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Yeah. And I realized part uh, of it is the journey to get there. However, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Game of Thrones, you had five unarguably amazing seasons two seasons that depending on who you ask they feel you know one way or another about it um and then one season that everyone pretty much agrees was a letdown and then that you know that tinges years and years and years worth of story you know leaves a bad taste in the mouth for it because of that so i get it um all right. Uh, then after that, he has Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines, which I very much like, and you very much did not. Which, from when we did game, which was for more it. mechanics based than anything else, because I couldn't really get into it because it, it just didn't click for me. Yeah, I, I recognize that it's a okay game at the very least. If uh, you're not into horror, that's uh, a mark against it, and also it does some things that 
I found annoying. So uh, it's not he's not wrong. It is a good game, but it's also his list. Yeah. And I'm not uh, going to take him to bat for that one. <laughs> yeah, very personal list. Um, then Wolfenstein 3D. A very classic choice once again. And uh, one of the first... Well, it wasn't a true 3D game because it was essentially 2D sprites in a 3D world. But, you know, a very old school. And honestly, kind of forgotten these days because it's kind of, you know, been usurped by, you know, more... Doom. Yeah, well, I was going to say pretty much um, more modern uh, players that just never went back to the DOS era. Yeah. Well, Kerbal Space Program, pretty self-explanatory on that one, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Only reason why I left Kerbal off my list was that it was more kind of, uh, it answered itself in more of the self-reflection than the top games or the Transformative 12. So it was more lifestyle changing than anything different that I really played outside of being more of a hard sci-fi. Yeah. And then he's got Heroes of Might and Magic 3, which I have never played. Uh, I'm not sure if I played this one in particular, but it's uh, it's a weird amalgam of 4X and sort of a hero... uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it. An amalgam between 4X and sort of a, 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 a RPG where you're mostly playing around a hero class or a hero that you control on the map to uh, work your uh, work across the map. If it's what I'm thinking, which one it is, because the game series is very old. This is one of the older ones. So I think this is one I haven't actually played. I think I played the more modern ones. See, 1999. I think the ones I played were post-2000. This looks interesting. I mean, I would... Yeah, it's I a, think it's I'm going to take that as a recommendation to actually play. Uh, at least the ones I played, okay? I, looking at screenshots and uh, uh, videos of this real quick, I don't think I played this one in particular, all right? It's essentially a cross between Civilization... Uh, that with the 4X uh, elements of uh, Civilization as well, on top of an RPG. It is something that you really need to experience if you've never played any of the series. I don't think that there's anything quite like it. Yeah, I'm going to take this as a recommendation, and next time it pops up on sale or for free on, you know, GOG or Steam, I'm going to pick it up and play it. And, and, well, Cube, I mean, you obviously, you listen to the show, we talk at least once a week. When we play Star Wars RPG, let me know which the right one you think is to start with. But this looks interesting. Like, I'd be game to give it a give it a shot. Yeah, I think I played one of the more modern ones. I'm trying to find it real quick. I wanted to say I played four or five, but I don't imagine that the actual gameplay mechanics changed all that much. Well, I could be wrong there. Uh, but let's see, uh, Metroid Two, which is a series I haven't actually gotten to play. Uh, it's one, or a, a franchise, I guess I should say. I haven't really gotten to play. It's, it's always kind of fall only through the tra- through the cracks, and maybe with the virtual console, I'll go check it out. Yeah, I don't like Metroid style games for the most part. I mean, there I've played a couple of them. I'm um, in the Metroid series. I've played the original Metroid. I've played Metroid Fusion, and I've played the first person shooter versions of Metroid. Um, Metroid Prime, um, and Prime is okay. 
And then I'm just not a big fan of the older Metroid games and, and you know, Metroid-style slash Metroidvania games. Like, nothing wrong with them. I've just never been a big fan, for the most part, of 2D, you know, side scrolly type gameplay. Yeah, which, I, I mean, I played uh, the genre. I played uh, Metroidvania games, and I really enjoy Metroidvania games. I just actually never really got to play either Castlevania or Metroid back in the day. And I wonder if it's one of those uh, situations where going back to play the originators of the genre is going to feel like a step backwards at this point. But Metroid is timeless these days. So maybe it's not, you know? Yeah. Don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> um, he's got SimCity 1. Yeah, so I guess that, the original SimCity. That's the Sim original top-down SimCity. Uh, that is, once again, a, a, a very interesting pick. And I'm assuming he put SimCity 1 to just differentiate it from the 2013 release or 2014 release. Because possibly, they, or possibly from the series as a whole. Well, well, well I was going to say because the EA did that annoying thing of reusing uh, the title because SimCity, they used that for the original of back when Maxis was more than just a label uh, to uh, kind of brand their new little postage stamp size city builder that absolutely flopped. Yeah, I enjoy. I've enjoyed every SimCity game I've ever played. Um, I've played the original. I played SimCity 2000. I played SimCity 4. I played. I, I wish I could say that. I really wish I could, but I, I played. SimCity 1, a little bit. I actually came into the series in SimCity 2000, uh, SimCity 3 and 4, and then I played SimCity Societies. And, yeah. SimCity Societies solely's the name, and then SimCity 2013 uh, destroyed it. Sorry, I jumped in. Yeah, no, you're good. I, um, I mean, there's quite a few spinoffs as well. So I've played, uh, like I've played Sim Farm. And Sim Ant. Uh, that those really aren't connected to the main series. I know, but they share like <sighs> similar mechanics and things like that. Like, I think I've played SimCity Creator. Looking here, I'm just looking. I'm looking at the list on Wikipedia. I think I've played this. Yeah, I wish there was another uh, game like Sim Farm, where it's just uh, short of actually working the farm yourself, but have that homesteading uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And I know that there probably is, and I've just not seen it. But it's just every time I run into one, it's either an auto game or it's not what I'm looking for. Like I'm looking at uh, top best alternatives, and Reese is the n- number one suggestion, but it has like two suggestions. Uh, let's see, people are saying uh, uh, Tycoon Games. Uh, I'm on now R slash Tycoon. Uh, and there's just not a lot short of, like, the Harvest Moon's uh, Stardew Valley series, but that's not what I'm looking for. Right. So, anyways, after SimCity, he's got 007, which is the the N64. Uh, Yeah, GoldenEye. GoldenEye. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, classic. If I continued to do more couch co-op, that would probably have been on my list, because I did a lot of couch co-op, uh, multiplayer, or I should say couch uh, multiplayer with that, because it was a co-op. Well, unless we were ganging up someone on someone that I didn't know of, but still. 
Uh, it it just didn't make it because I did do a lot of, uh, of uh, local multiplayer beyond that, and it's kind of fallen off. Uh, yeah. It's just a thing. I don't I don't have a lot of experience with GoldenEye. I have played it, but I played it, like, I've played it, I didn't play it when it was new or close to then, so it's hard for me to really fairly judge it. Like, I recognize it, it's one of those things, it's like, I recognize it's place in history, but I missed it in the moment, and things have come so far that it's hard for me to really appreciate it on a personal level. So, um, next game on his list, though, Silent Service 2. Uh, which is a submarine, like a World War II submarine yeah, I th- game. I think, I've never played it. I think I've played either this one or the first one, because this looks very familiar. This may be one of those games that I played and just kind of yeah, forgotten about. Uh, yeah. It's essentially a sim of where you're commanding a submarine. And, I mean, it's uh, he has quite a few sims, actually. But just looking at the screenshots, this looks very familiar, I I'm not sure if this is uh, the same one I played or not. I remember bits and pieces of it, but I never got far in it because it's a hardcore sim. It's uh, the it, it, oh, now this may be just the fact that I was yeah probably ten when I played it, but I remember it being very tough to play. <laughs> but then again, I don't think I had the manual either. Yeah. Um, and then the last one. Well, let's see. That was the last one on his main list. And then for his two sort of runners-up or honorable mentions or whatever, Star Trek 25th Anniversary, which I've never played, but I should. As a Star Trek fan, I should play this game. Uh, just check. I, I think this is another one where I've, uh, I've seen it, but I never played it. Mm-hmm. It looks Once again, it looks familiar, but I think it's just one of those I've seen it pop up before, but I've never played it. Right. Um... And then Bard's Tale, which I have played. Um, I played that in a time in my life when I did not like ARPGs, and I should go back and play it again. Because it's had a, a remaster, I think. Yeah. Um, Remastered and resnarked. No, <laughs> oh, that's what they actually call it. <laughs> nice. Actually, let me just double check that. I think it. Um, Bard's Tale 4 is on Game Pass. Okay. So I have on Steam, I have the Bard's Tale. It says remastered and restarted on the image. Would is this a thing where that if you owned it, you got like it was just like an update? Maybe the Bard's Tale remastered and restarted. I guess so. I have got the Bard's Tale original. I should go back and I should try to play it again. Oh wait, include now includes original classic games, the Bard's Tale one, two, and three. Well, there you so go. I guess I have the first three. Cool. Uh, you always find Yay, me. weird shit on your uh, 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 on your library, and half the time you don't even remember buying it. Uh, and the, yeah. Well, let's see. In the not really a game, Microsoft Flight Simulator ninety eight slash X. Uh Microsoft Flight Sim. That's another game that I played a bit. I'm seeing if this is, and this one also looks familiar. I think this. If it wasn't this version, I played the one previous, if there was one. But the UI looks very familiar. Yeah, I've played Microsoft Flight Simulator 10. I'm very much looking forward to the new Flight Simulator. Especially since it's on Game Pass. Yes, doubly so since it's on Game Pass. I'm 
looking forward to that. Um, I enjoyed a lot of time in the game, but like whenever I was making my list, it didn't even pop it in my mind for consideration. Not that it's bad or anything, but I didn't find it, you know, significant in the way that I did the other games, you know, in the way that I constructed my list. Okay, I think I played uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 95 looking at the uh, at the Wikipedia and just uh yeah, I think I played 95 and not 98 cuz just going through and looking at Oh, look, there's uh Midway, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the de facto place that you uh, fly around. Yeah, that looks a lot more familiar. So I think that's the one I played. But once again, yep. again you know, a, a very classic, uh, especially for someone that has a lot of Sims on their list. Of, or Sim games, I should say. Indeed. So yeah, that was Cube's list. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for sending that in. Because that, that had some uh, choices on it that we didn't really think about. And others that uh, kind of jog some memories, you know? Yeah. And if you wish to contribute to the Community Corner, you could do so. VGLpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, tweet it to us, VGLpodcast on said Twitter. Or send it to us through the Discord, which, like you did. So, do you want a quickly doobly-doo? Yeah, let's do a, a quick discovery queue. Okay, and uh, because I had not loaded, I have one right off the bat. Star Wars, The Old Republic. It's Star Wars, it's The Old Republic. It's the MMO. It's Star Wars, the MMO. Oh, wait a minute. That, that sounds like it's a Spaceballs spin-off, doesn't it? Spaceballs, <laughs> the MMO. Uh, but this is a little different from your typical MMO where there is a strong single-player-esque or single-player-focused story. But it's a, it's scattered between the level ground of an MMO, so good luck if you want to play it just that, because you're going to have quite the track on it. Oh, sorry, this is Star Wars. Yeah, it's all, it's all right. I've played it. It's all right. Um, alright, I got one. Necro Barista. Um, is a visual novel. Uh, in a back alley cafe, the dead are granted one last night to mingle with the living. Necro Barista follows a dynamic and diverse cast of characters as they navigate Melbourne's hipstery coffee culture, the questionable ethics of necromancy, and the process of letting go. So, this just looks neat. Yeah, That's the take a look. Well, I just got Necro Barista, so I'm skipping that one. And I yep, got, I got oh, some porn. Yeah, well, I wasn't sure if what I got at first was a porn game or not, because uh, it was a little hard to tell, but yeah. Porn. So I, got, I had to dig a little bit more, but I got Neon Abyss. I also got Neon Abyss. <laughs> well, well, You're good. You probably would like this, and I wouldn't, uh, but I was well, going to mention it because it's on Game Pass. Well, it's a top-down... Oh, is it top down? Yeah, no, no, sorry. 2D uh, roguelite uh, platformer. Think uh, Rogue Legacy. Actually, is it by the same developers? Uh, checking. No, it doesn't seem to be. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, 2D uh, uh, roguelite uh, with a lot of zany weaponry, some false fights. Looks like a lot of playable characters. Uh, with some sort of uh, skill tree as well. So, and somehow a, a, a 
gotcha game built into it as well. I've been meaning to play this, but I have to focus on getting through as much as I can of uh, Gears Tactics. So I'll have to check this one out and probably report back. I do have a download, though, so... Nice. Um, I got Story of Seasons, Friends of Mineral Town. Ah, uh, the remake. Looks like this is a remaster? Okay, uh, th- yeah. That's the remaster of uh, Harvest Moon, Friends of Mineral Town. Uh, uh, they lost the... Uh, basically, they broke up with the publisher of the uh, U.S. version of uh, Harvest Moon uh, uh, Misumi. So, they ha- the publisher had the rights for the uh, for the uh, title Harvest Moon in the uh, outside of Japan. So, it's always been Story of Seasons outside, in Japan, but because they lost uh, that, that deal with the publisher... They can no longer use Harvest Moon, so it's Story of Seasons now. And, I mean, it looks like it's pretty much the same game. Uh, just a little bit of a polish. It, I'm not sure if it's just the fact that I, it's so hot def now, but it just feels off the uh, art style. Or maybe it's just the fact that so many Facebook games and now mobile games are using this particular art style. You know? Yeah. It's just, uh, right? Probably I, probably a little column A, little column B. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Alright. Uh, well, it's your turn, even though you mostly talked about that yeah. one. Like, you know knew more than I yeah, did. Yeah, I so mean, I, pl- I played the fuck out of uh, Harvest Moon uh, in that era, so it is well worth checking out if you liked uh, Stardew Valley. I would say that it's might be a, a little bit dated if they don't update a lot of the gameplay because uh, Stardew Valley does it a lot better, as does well, uh, really uh, the more recent uh, uh, Harvest Moon games as well, for most likely. I haven't played Harvest Moon in quite a while, but that's beside the point. So, I got Creeks. The ground starts shaking, light bulbs are uh, blinking, and something Rather unusual is happening right behind the walls of your very room, equipped with nothing but your wit and courage. You slowly descend into the world inhabited by avian folk and seemingly deadly furniture monsters. So, a puzzle platformer? Maybe a point click? Uh, it's a little hard to tell with the with the tags because it doesn't really say. Oh, it says platformer. Never mind. So, puzzle platformer. Very interesting art style. Has this sort of hand-drawn, uh, like, gothic look to it. Mm. So, I got, and I see that this is on your wish list. so either you've talked about it before, or you wishlisted it during the Steam sale to get cards or whatever, but Horizon Zero I, Dawn... I wishlisted it because uh, I actually want to get it at some point. So, yeah, I mean, this was, it, it's, I mean, it's over. This was one of the games that I wanted to get a PS4 for at some point to go back and play, but Sony has realized the value of selling their their games on P- on the PC marketplace at this point, so I probably won't ever buy a PlayStation ever and will instead enjoy games like this on PC forever. I mean, this is an RPG that's set in like a, a future post-apocalyptic Earth where that there was some stuff that happened. I, I kind of know the story for this game, so I won't say, but some stuff has happened, and now robot dinosaurs rule the planet, and you, as the super awesome human 
Alloy are going on an adventure to figure out why and and save some things and some people. And it looks amazing. It looks beautiful. Looks like I had like I've always thought that the story was compelling and the world was compelling. Like, so I'm I'm in for this. That's on my wish list. Hardcore. Okay, I got a fucking weird one. 5D chess with multi-verse time travel. So, this is chess, only you're able to transport your pieces into alternate branches of a timeline by branching off from uh, a decision uh, of a previous move. I mean, I mean, just watching the trailer makes my head hurt. But if you like chess, then this is something to check out, huh? Because, damn. Indeed. I mean, just watch that trailer and just, what the fuck, right? Yeah. Um, so I have gotten... It is nice to see something different done with chess. I guess I'll say that much. But chess usually makes yeah, my head hurt to begin with, so... Anyway. So I got I got Creek, which you've already talked about. Then I got 5D Chess. Then I got two porn games. And I haven't... I'm now on to my last game... Is this an interesting game? Uh, I'm not sure. It looks weird. Weird doesn't necessarily mean interesting. Indie strategy RPG roguelike deck builder. Sure. Crummit's Tale. Let me get you a link. Apparently this is the second game in a series. It's got a wacky sort of cartoony aesthetic. Um, do do Use your cards to clear dungeons, then upgrade your deck with new cards and perks to press forward. Fate of the World is in your hands. So maybe a little bit like Guild of, Guild of Dungeoneering, um, where you're building a deck and going through a dungeon. Why does this feel familiar? And, well, it's a sequel, so maybe you've seen the first one. Hang on, I, 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 let me go check that real quick, because this feels very familiar, just that art style. Checking, hang on. Yep, looking at the developers. Looks like that's this is the only game that the developer has done, but the publisher has got quite a few. I'm going to say I played this on mobile or something very close to it. It may just be I played something very close to it, because... I'm looking at it on mobile, and it's not what I thought it was. Maybe it's just, yeah, that graphic, or that uh, art style is very close to something I played. Quite possibly. But yeah, that's my cue, so So how many do you have left? I have five remaining after this one, which is Yakuza, like a dragon. Uh, So the upcoming entry into the Yakuza series, but this is following a new protagonist and I think it's either modern day or close to it. So very different from the one we covered uh, a few months ago. Uh, It does have the annoying thing of multiple versions available which I always find absolutely infuriating. Uh, Pretty much as soon as they have to have a spreadsheet on what co- on what version covers what, right? Yeah. Especially whenever they start selling power because there's uh, a stat boost set, ultimate costume set, 
and that is something that was in Yakuza uh, Zero that was included in the complete edition that uh, was the only version that you could get was there was items that you could obtain uh, through a uh, NPC there just as pure stat upgrades so that's irritating but that's pretty much the way it is these days so I'm just skipping ahead that one looks like it would be an interesting game but it's pure porn or, or, Yay, or, or porn. I should say it's marked adult only but it's a tycoon game so let's just go with likely uh Right. Is that the adult model tycoon or whatever? No, I think I had that no, one. No, this is something different. And go to and okay. go into the screenshots. Ooh. Yeah, at least they they were decent on the store page, but it was marked adults only. So, uh, but let's see. Okay, I gotta do this one just for the pure theme of it. All right. Okay. Because it's based on Scandinavian folklore, and okay. I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation because it is has a umlaut over. It. So, Roki, Roki, uh, uh, adventure game inspired by Scandinavian folklore, a dark contemporary folk tale. Oh, sorry, fairy tale. Uh, under, and I clicked on something. Underpinned by a touching narrative, a luring art style ancient puzzles, and atmospheric exploration. And it does look very pretty for uh, an indie title. has a very stylized, uh, clean art style to it. I really like that. And the fact that it's Scandinavian folklore. You don't see a lot of that. Unless you're starting to talk about, like, the Pantheon of Gods, right? Yeah. Which, this doesn't look like it's doing that. Uh, let's see. Don't think you have that one, so... Oh, I know. The curses of having a decent queue, I guess, right? So, Beyond a Steel Sky. I think you covered this a few weeks ago. Or at least it seems familiar. Uh, a multi-award-winning revolution uh, comes beyond a steel sky. The groundbreaking 3D adventure thriller set in an AI-driven future. So... Uh, adventure game. This feels familiar. I'm not sure if it's just I've seen it before uh, when it was probably on a console release or what, but yeah, it, I think it was uh, a console release that's coming to PC, uh, uh, probably a P uh, PlayStation, because that's been what's going on these days, right? Yeah, I know there's like a Steel Sky series, like. Beneath a Steel Sky and uh, Under a Steel... I don't, I don't remember exactly. But it's like a, um, like a cyberpunk horror... Horror is wrong. I, I don't know. I'm struggling to remember. Like, I have also heard of this series. Maybe they're like books or something. I could just Google it. Yeah, I'm just going to do a quick Google. I think uh, this was on... Uh, maybe this is a remake of a classic, and that's why it seems familiar. Because so, Beneath a Steel Sky is an older game. Uh, looks like it was a, a 1994 cyber. 1994. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's why it feels so familiar. And then it looks like it got a re. Let's see. Yeah, it's gotten a remaster. And then, based on the performance of the remaster. 
which came out in 2009. A game was sort of cult following things, and a sequel was set to release, which that the sequel, which is Beyond a Steel Sky, just came out. Okay, a couple maybe, weeks ago. Maybe that's why it seems familiar. Is that I'm, I've heard of it before from uh, the prequel, or, or I shouldn't say prequel, but you know the previous entry in the list in the series, and it's just mm, all right. Yeah. So I went ahead and did the rest of my queue. I got uh, logical uh, three Earth, which is a strategy puzzle game. Where you're essentially carrying all the cargo on Earth, but it's very, very zoomed out. It's a, it's essentially you're controlling anywhere on Earth. That's interesting. You've never seen this? The, the, no, I've had, never seen this before. They've had a lot of entries on, on in this series on Steam that popped up. I mean, they're all fairly similar, only they've been localized to a continent or a, or a country. But this one is yeah. Earth or, yeah, global. Now has 50,000 towns to complete and over 165,000 businesses. Uh-oh. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's way out of my impulse buy range. It's like, it's on sale, but it's still $34. Did it just release? Uh, July 23rd. Yeah, so I guess it's within like a launch window sale. Yeah, but t- uh, the previous ones are 10 bucks, but usually it's city or, or town or c- city or country. Like, uh, they have Logical uh, USA, which is by state, and some of them are like two bucks. Wait, Logistical 2 free to play? Is it like on a, a demo or something? I'm, or is I'm it not, literally I'm not sure free? I've never checked out the free to play one. Uh, as a free under, uh, introductory logistical module uh, to okay. a large open world strategy. So it's a it's essentially a demo. And then they have Logistical 2, which uh, I'm not sure how they're monetizing this. I mean, you could always find out. Looks like uh, certain modules are free, and then there's add-ons. And that might be what the other modules are. Like, uh, but then there's logistical vampires. <laughs> Alright. Where a slightly different take to the current logistical lineup. The principle is the same. Deliver stuff, but now you have to beat the vampire invasion at the same time. <laughs> nice. So, I-, I may have just cost you some money and a lot of time. Yeah, I'm gonna look more into this maybe tomorrow. Yeah. And it looks fairly in-depth. I mean, logistical British Isles is uh, it says over 2,000 towns to complete. And it's different modules for a base game it looks like. So uh, let's see. Let's, so that's how they, uh, they monetize it is that they're modules for uh, the main things. So Logistical 2 doesn't have quite as much as the first one, which has an absolute ton of modules. Uh, Let's put it this way, $115 for the lot, which is a lot of different states. Uh, British Isles, Florida, Italy, 
uh, Norway, like I said, states and countries. Russia, Japan, South Africa, Brazil. But it's also one that you can play where you're interested in. Yeah, honestly, I'm probably... Well, I don't know. I want to just, like, dive straight in on Logistical Earth and, like, just say, fuck it. It's like, go big or go fuck yourself, yeah, basically. Yeah, but... yeah, I imagine Logistical Earth is probably not going to have the module system. It's probably going to be probably the uh, paradox where they deepen the gameplay instead of make it... Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Well, uh, the, uh, uh, truck sim, where they add to the map, well, they can't this time, so they're just gonna make the game deeper. Right. So, my last one, uh, like I said, I finished off my queue, so I was able to, uh, see what I had, uh, while you were talking. Uh, Gretzia Phantom Trigger Volume 7. So... I uh, was looking at the uh, visual novel database uh, for, it, and this is a set, or this is obviously volume seven of a overall story. Not a hundred percent certain if it has an uh, an overarching story or if it's a individual story set in a overall uh, universe. I wasn't able to figure that one out on the little bit of time I had. However, the yeah, episodic. Uh, oh, sorry, it says episodic story. So this is the most recent, I guess. But very beautiful uh, uh, CG on it, uh, or cutscenes. Mm -hmm. uh, visual novel database says no sexual content, so I don't feel bad about linking to a visual novel because sometimes it yeah is a little bit dicey if we want to keep it somewhat clean on our recommendations. Uh, it says episodic, so you likely want to go back to the first one if it's available on Steam. I'm actually not sure. I'm going to go check that. Uh, they have a lot of visual novels, so likely. Uh, I see a lot of the earlier ones, but I'm not sure if I see the first one in the series. Da -da -da, where are you? There's the Relations tab once again. Um, and, ooh, that, that gets... That gets messy as fuck. Uh, there's a lot of side character or a lot of side stories to this, so this is diving into a deeper universe as well than than I thought it would, which is interesting. Uh, looks like a lot of shared characters that leads to side uh, stories as well. So if you want a kind of an intro to a visual novel universe and have uh, a bit of a deep dive on a overarching story. Well, there you go. And hang on, let me just double check one last thing. Of course, I closed that tab. Let me unclose it because I wanted to see just how long it is. Oh. It is clocking in on the medium range, so 10 to 30 hours. So a fairly decent kinetic story, which is no branching paths, just essentially sit there and read. And it does have connecting to quite a few stories as well, so uh, you can really dive into a universe. So there you go. Uh, visual novel to round things out. Sweet. Well, that finishes up our discovery queue, so Rage... And I'm with the socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR, where I've been bitching about people that can't math. 
Uh, and you can find me on Steam Caffeine Rage. And you've been... Gaming Psychologist. You can find me over on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist on Twitter, where you can find me uh, reposting and posting uh, memes and bitching about something. Uh, or you can be my friend on Steam by sending a friend request to jarthur4707. And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is e-hole. <laughs> e-hole. Perfect. I had to. There was no other choice, right? Yep, don't blame me there. Oh, and once again, you could uh, contact us, vglpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or just tweet them to us, vglpodcast, on the Twitter. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this band as pop- possible. You can find out more patreon.com slash vglpodcast. Or if you were to uh, check out the news uh, uh, or check out our show notes or links to all our stuff, you can find us vglpodcast.podbean.com. Or if you were to share the love, we're on your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kim McLeod and Dubly Do, our Discovery Q music, which hopefully it's still put in, even though we never did say hit the music, is also by him. You can find his work at over at incompetech.com. And as always, <laughs> as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, fucked me up right there. Bye bye now. See you next time. And that was the intention. Bye bye. <laughs>